These lamentations They're gonna be the death of me These lamentations They're getting too damn hard to sing With songwriting and writing in general, things do not always happen in a straight line. They are not always created from start to finish. Pieces and parts can emerge seemingly at random. Ideas about the ending may come first. Or just maybe every concept and point to be made can come to the writer at the onset. There are plenty of times that I finished writing the script for a Southern Songs and Stories podcast, have recorded it and tweaked all the audio, only to struggle with a title for the episode. And then I might change it several times before coming to a final decision. Musicians have struggled with album titles too. Aren't you glad that David Bowie changed his mind on what could have been called Chilling the Rubes and instead titled his 1975 album Young Americans? Or that Talking Heads steered away from Melody Attack and went with Remain in Light? But this can work the other way around. Some works flow from and present themselves only after the artist comes to their name. This is the case for B.J. Barham and his band American Aquarium's eighth studio album. Two years ago, Barham wrote down the word Lamentations, and he knew it would be his next album title before he created a single song for it. In hindsight, that word came to B.J. Barham almost like a prophecy of Old Testament proportions. Who could have known in 2018 just how bad things could get in two years' time? And who could speak to the trials that we would be going through and the collective conversations we would be having so presciently in music that began with just one word? Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories, and the first of a two-episode series on B.J. Barham of American Aquarium. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick. Stick around for an in-depth conversation with B.J., as well as guests Rhonda Chalak, a music promoter from Charlottesville, Virginia, and music artist Tyler Boone, who grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, but now calls Hollywood home. We get into topics like how Barham articulates the dark history of the South so that people will start having conversations about racial and class divides, however uncomfortable those conversations might be. We touch on how bittersweet it must be to have a hit record with no way to play it in person to fans, about how metal and southern rock have more in common than you might have thought, and working with yet another Grammy-winning producer, Shooter Jennings. But, you know, Shooter's Bigfoot. Shooters are Bigfoot, man. So I think... Uh, we've seen some heritage acts get a bit of a boost, and I think it's possibly been a little bit harder for emerging artists to break through uh, the ton of static out there with everything that's going on in the world. When I even used to live in Nashville, I mean, all there is to do is go see live music, and all those guitar players are just insane. And I think maybe a lot of them used to be metalheads because they're all covered in tattoos. <laughs> so, All that and a whole lot more, including more new songs. From American Aquarium.
Southern Songs and Stories is produced in partnership with Grassroots Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media, and is available wherever you get your podcast and at WNCW.org. One easy and very helpful way to spread awareness of the artists featured here, their music, and this series is to subscribe to this podcast and give it a good rating and a comment on the platforms where you listen to your podcast. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. We have our own musical style. Not a little bit. Like, you'll play some New Orleans music, and that's only happening here. You just can't get away from it. What is it about New Orleans that makes it such a special place for music? Is it the families of the city? There was a point later, later on, where Charles, Cyril, us, and my uncle Art, we all lived within two blocks of one another. It was just, music was everywhere, man. Is it the centuries of unique history? New Orleans is the only city that I'm aware of that actually melts the cultures together, including our food and our music. And and because of when the slaves came over, they used music as a form of communication. And then as times grew and the, the slavery ended and we started getting more visitors, the cultures in this city seem to melt together. We take a little bit from each one of the cultures and we use it within the formula of the music. Or is it the rhythm? I look at New Orleans as the northernmost part of the Caribbean. I mean, we get all of those rhythms tied into it, you know, the Trecejo, the Bambula, and all these different rhythms. And you hear it in all the music that we play, but the culture that's behind all those rhythms is all celebratory. And, you know, it's, it's deeply African. So that kind of what makes New Orleans different from even anywhere outside of New Orleans. Or is it something more spiritual? Tori Amos told me one time that the veil between the living and the dead is much thinner in New Orleans than it is other places. Um, So that's something that a lot of folks believe. And uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I've I've only had experience on one side of that veil, so I, I couldn't really say. On July 9th, from Osiris Media, comes Festival Circuit New Orleans. This five-part series will explore everything about the music of the city and about the jazz festival that just celebrated its 50th anniversary. From the beginning of the Jazz Fest... That's when the notion of, oh, we can do this. This can happen in New Orleans. In fact, wouldn't it be amazing if it was something that celebrated the music that's already here? And the culture that's already here, we don't have to import anything. To the most memorable performances in the 50-year history. I would have said when I was younger, I hate Springsteen. That Seeger Sessions, which I think everyone has probably mentioned. After Katrina, that was one of the most cathartic, powerful, most amazing things. People were weeping. We'll hear from Ivan Neville, George Porter Jr., Irma Thomas, Anders Osborne, Ben Jaffe, Papa Molly, and dozens of other musicians. We'll also talk to writers, academics, and music fans about what makes the music of the city so unique. Subscribe now and tune in on July 9th as we explore the power of music in New Orleans.
you've said that I operate in the dark shadows of what we don't want to talk about in the South. And nowadays, it seems like what we didn't want to bring to light are national talking points. And what do you make of the country's discourse on especially the, to- the topics and themes in your songs? It's good. Uh, it's good to talk about it. I think talking about it shows um, the holes in our arguments. If we disagree with things and if we agree with things, uh, it, it, we only get to stand behind it and be proud that we've been saying this for years. Um, as a, as someone that was born in the state of North Carolina, I've, I've, I was born and raised here. I was born in a little place called Reedsville, North Carolina, which is uh, about 15, 20 miles north of Greensboro, North Carolina, off of I-40. Uh, and I lived there the first 18 years of my life. Uh, and then I moved to Raleigh uh, in 2002 um, to attend NC State University. Uh, and then I, I've, I've stayed in Raleigh. Um, I've been in a touring rock and roll band for 15 years now, but Raleigh is where home is. Uh, and we have always uh, tried to speak up about things that are important to us. And a lot of the times... Um, the things that are important to us aren't exactly the things that my my father taught me or my grandfather taught me. Um, uh, we have a very dark history in the South. Uh, even uh, a progressive Southern state like North Carolina has a very, very long, dark history that sometimes we like to to look over and not talk about it. And, and the only reason we don't like to talk about it is because it's uncomfortable. Uh, and, and, and in my song, especially the last two or three records that I've made, I've tried my best um, to articulate uh, this discomfort uh, and put it into words. Um, I am proud. At the end of the day, I am always going to be a proud Southerner. Two of my favorite things in the entire world, uh, music and food. Um, in my opinion, nobody does either one of those things better than Southerners. Um, but at the end of the day, I can also look in the mirror and admit to myself uh, the wrongdoings of my family, the wrongdoings of myself at an early age. Uh, and just trying to strive every single day to be a better person than I was yesterday. And if I'm a better person today than I was yesterday, it's a success. And if tomorrow I'm a better person tomorrow than I was today, it's a success. It's about trying to listen. It's about trying to learn uh, and just be better people. And uh, it's really weird to, you know, I wrote this record a year ago. And to see it come out in the midst of all of this and be just as relevant, if not more today than a year ago when I wrote it, pre-pandemic, pre-protest, um, it's, 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 it's really exciting to see talking points that I thought were going to be very um, divisive uh, be at the forefront of where the conversation is today on a national level. That's a, that's a really neat thing as a songwriter to, to, to kind of watch these songs grow into a conversation. Let's talk about the song A Better South and analyze it. There's very, very much going on on many levels, lyrically, musically. But first, musically, the way I read this song, you know, on the surface, it's a hooky country anthem that rocks. It's not hitting you over the head either. It's not over the top. But some of the things get me, like the twin guitars in the break. It really pushes buttons for me and kind of seems to fall somewhere between Allman Brothers maybe even Iron Maiden. I used to listen to a lot of metal, you know, as a young guy and still love a lot of music like Allman Brothers and those twin guitars and that break really got me. Tell me about that. Well, it's funny because my guitar player listens to a lot of metal and a lot of country music. (laughs) So uh, we wanted to make a song uh, about the South that sounded like the South. We definitely, you know, there's pedal steel guitar, there's twin electric guitars, um, 
there's B3 organ all over this thing. We wanted it to sound like a Southern rock anthem, but we wanted it to be very, very clear lyrically that, that we were dissecting some of the negative aspects of being a Southerner. You know, I talk about, um, immigration. I talk about, uh, the Confederate statues. I talk about, uh, Quite a few, you know, the drive-by truckers have a really, really great way of talking about, uh, Patterson always talks about the duality of the Southern thing, that kind of pride and guilt that you're faced with on a daily basis. And so that's kind of the mindset of where this song started was, was talking about how proud I was of where I'm from, but also not being ignorant to the fact that there's a lot of things that we shouldn't be proud of as Southerners and kind of bringing those to light and saying, you can still love where you're from and love your history and love your heritage, but also admit um, that there were plenty of missteps by previous generations. Um, but, you know, it all comes into the conversation in the guise of a, a, a Southern rock song. <laughs> so it, it's getting everybody to the table, uh, you know, and then having that uncomfortable conversation uh, in the middle of what's, you know, if you just break it down to no words and sound, it's a Southern rock song. It's an upbeat Southern rock song that you could sing along. It's got a hooky chorus. And, but then it's also that awkward conversation that you need to have with your uncle every year um, about why he can't say those things at the table. Yes, I believe in a better sound. the song it seems to describe how idealism has had the screws put to it 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 gives this kind of supercharged emotional quality and it reminds me of like a punk anthem in a way you know like a like a fugazi song or something with that anthemic sort of righteousness that's going on well it's 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 definitely to the point there's no metaphor here there's no abstract songwriting that i'm trying to get to a bigger you know i'm i'm not kind of uh, holding anything back here. It's it's very deliberate and to the point of, hey, I'm from here, 
So I feel like I have the ability to talk negatively about, because the last thing I want to hear is some kid who was born in Brooklyn telling me about the problems of the South. You know, it's, that's not what I want to hear. So this, the first verse is me standing up and saying, I was born here. I've lived here my entire life. I feel like I have the right to talk about these things. Uh, and letting the listener know that this isn't just coming from an observation from afar. This is coming from a very lived-in place. Uh, and then I, I, I get right to it. I talk about um, the disenfranchised people that here in the South and how our entire um, economy, our entire social structure has built on built been built on the backs of poor people. And that's not just black people. That's poor white people and poor black people. Um the, the middle class down is what most of the South was built on and continues to rely on, yet they, they, they don't really have a voice. Uh, uh, and then you get to the chorus, and you know it's talking about um, one of the biggest hot points in music today is musicians talking about politics and then someone saying, how about you just shut up and sing, boy? And I wanted to make sure that I got that into the song. And let people know that I'm not going to just shut up and sing. You can't ask me to be open and honest and and, and observant of my addictions, the road, my personal relationships, my inner band relationships, everything else I write songs about, and then tell me I have to be quiet about the one thing that is surrounding us constantly in 2020. Like I'm not going to do that. And so it very much is a defiant anthem to people who say, Man, I listen to Southern music so I don't have to think about politics. And that's the most ignorant statement I've ever heard in my entire life. Is That's that's what Southern rock was based on, was standing up and saying something. And uh, so that chorus lays it all out on the line. And I spend the next two verses talking about how I'm tired um, of these Confederate statues and of the argument about heritage. You know, the Confederacy lasted four years. That's not heritage. You know, that's the that's half of the Obama administration. Um, that's that's not your heritage. My heritage is uh, a bunch of people got on a boat in Ireland and came over to this country, and seven generations later, I'm here talking about it. That's my heritage. My heritage is not. Uh, a bunch of racist ancestors of mine fighting for the right to own other human beings. That's not heritage. Um, and people that are holding on to that very, very loose piece of straw, uh, it, it, it's finally coming to an end. This conversation is being had. Um, and, 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 you know, from in my case, seven generations later, um, you can't, you have to admit that it was wrong and that, that we fought for the wrong reasons. Um, and I'm tired of listening to my father tell me, well, you know, it was just a different time back then. No, Dad, it's not. You still have to admit that you were wrong in that situation. And that's what this song... It, this song, to wrap it all up, I know I'm getting long-winded here, but this song is a awkward conversation uh, with your family <laughs> that everybody's had. Every progressive Southerner has had this conversation with their family uh, at least once or twice a year at family get-togethers and holidays. And I put it in song form. The blending of styles is pretty evident with the twin guitar break in A Better South, and Barham, with producer Shooter Jennings and the band itself, brought in more to the American Aquarium mix than you might have anticipated. There are, beyond the acoustic ballads and behemoth rock tunes, flourishes of R&B, Latin, and folk music running through the ten songs on the album. Willie Nelson once said about the record Modern Sounds and Country and Western Music, quote, I think Ray Charles did as much as anybody when he did his country music album. Ray Charles broke down borders 
and showed the similarities between country music and R&B, end quote. And while it's not as overt, there is a parallel with the direction of much of Lamentations. B.J. Barham, like Ray Charles, is all about breaking down borders and pointing out commonalities in music and with people. B.J. comes across as a kind of champion for common folks, which, along with his music, earns him comparisons to Bruce Springsteen, and he doesn't seem to mind at all. The bio on the American Aquarium website quotes Rolling Stone, commenting that B.J. Barham, quote, earns every bit of his Southern Springsteen cred. Obviously, if you listen to any of my music, you, you understand that, that, that Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty um, were huge influences on me as a writer. Um, I've always been drawn um, to songwriters that have a really, really powerful band behind them. Um, there's something about uh, this kind of wall of rock that hits you when you listen to both of those bands, but at the end of the day, you could take the entire band away and just have it be a singer and an acoustic guitar, and it's still just as effective. My name is Joel Roberts. I work for the state. I'm a sergeant out in Perrinville, out on barracks number eight. Always worked an honest job, about as honest as I could. Got a brother named Frankie. Frankie ain't no good. Ever since we was young kids, it's been the same calm down. I get a call on a short wave. Frankie's in trouble downtown. If it was any other man. I'd put him straight away But when it's your brother Sometimes you look the other way We're laughing and singing Nothing feels better than blood on blood Taking turns dancing with Maria As a band played Night of the Johnstown Flood I'll catch him when he's straying Like any brother would You turn your back on your family Man, you ain't no good Well, Frankie went in the army Back in 1965 I got a farm to ferment Settle down to Maria for my wife Then them wheat prices kept on dropping It was like we was getting robbed Frankie came home in 68 Me, I took this job We were laughing and singing Nothing feels better than blood on blood Taking turns dancing with Maria As a band played Night of the Johnstown Flood I'll catch him when he's straying 
I'll teach him how to walk that line. You turn your back on your family, you ain't no friend of mine. Well, tonight's like any other. I get a call about a quarter to nine. There was trouble in a roadhouse out on the Michigan line. There's a boy laying on the floor, bleeding bad from his head. Girl crying at a table. It was Frank, they said So I jumped in my car And I hit the lights I must have done 110 Through Michigan County that night Yeah, it was out on the crossroads down by Willow Bank Caught a Buick with Ohio plates Behind the wheel was Frank I chased him down them county roads Till a sign said Canadian border Five miles from here Pulled over on the highway And watched his taillights disappear Talking about B.J. Barham and the group American Aquarium, who have a number mm. one record on the charts right now, and I, I wonder how bittersweet that must be because mm. when you have a new record, you're going to want to tour on it, and there's definitely none of yeah. that. But at the same time, it's the perfect record for right now. They, it's like <laughs> they looked into a crystal ball or something when they made it because it is so. Uh, it speaks to this moment so so yeah. thoroughly, really. What do you think, being there in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I think you're fairly well-read, I think you're a fan of history, how do you see that record or records like it as part of this conversation we're having nationwide? Well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, you bring up American Aquarium, and I think of another record that really popped out at me as being ridiculously patient um and completely different genre but that new run the jewels record as well it's like how on earth did these guys not write this today like when that came out i 
I guess, you know, obviously they'd been paying attention to, to, to things that were going on that some of us hadn't been paying enough attention to, obviously. And so that's the answer. But that was another album that I thought, wow, you guys have really captured the moment. And there are several artists, I think, to which we could, you know, say that. Uh, and I, I, I thought that bittersweet was a good way of putting it when you when you mentioned that what what it's like for American Aquarium in particular to be number one at a time like this when they can't take it out on the road for people. Um, I'm not I'm not very much of a Pollyanna in general, but I, I think I'm I've been slightly more optimistic than some in regards to these timing issues and and what it's like for artists. It's it's certainly very difficult that they can't go tour these records right now. Um, but I think live music is is not going away. It's not going to go away. It's away for right now. But, um, you know, I'm hoping personally that we're all going to kind of just hit pause on this. And uh, the bands who are doing really well with their albums right now, I really hope we'll be able to tour on them next summer. I've talked with artists who in lieu of touring all summer, which is what they were going to be doing to promote the record, have decided to do kind of a slower rollout where we um, we send more singles out in advance of the record that we've pushed back to September to kind of, you know, try to do online what they would have done live in front of an audience, you know, generate excitement for this upcoming release. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of artists have lost a lot of opportunity, for sure. I mean, we, you know, we've all suffered to varying degrees in this. Um, I'm thinking of a new act I'm working with called uh, named S.G. Goodman, and she's an artist from rural Kentucky. She's got a record coming out later this month on, on Verve, and uh, she was supposed to have the record out last month. She was going to play South by Southwest. She was invited to Willie's Ranch to play the Luck Reunion, which is a big, a big get, you know, in the industry. A uh, good look, as they say. And she was also going to play the non-convention in Philadelphia. And so it's it's really hard for an emerging artist like that um, to lose those opportunities because they're so key to setting expectations and getting her name out there. You know, I've got a lot of friends who have been getting back to work um, lately, and there's there somebody in their crew has contracted COVID or, you know, two or three people in their crew has contracted COVID and they've only been back at it like a week. So I don't really see, I haven't even thought about getting back to work just yet because I, it's such a, a distant dream right now. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things where I, I just can't see us getting back to work anytime this year. Um, and sadly, you know, when I think a record like Lamentations, our new record, I really think that being able to go out and talk to people, especially pre-November, um, especially touring through the South and playing these songs, I think a conversation gets started that needs to get started with a lot of friends and family and people and fans uh, that we're just missing out on. Um, that we're, I'm just not going to be able to have these conversations with people. Realistically, 2021 is when music is going to come back. You're going to see kind of you know half-ass attempts at music um, you're going to see like the drive-in shows or the 25% capacity shows. Um, but getting back to, you know, all of us just cramming into a room and being a p operating on the same wavelength for an hour and a half. Um, I, I don't really see that happening until we have a vaccine. And, you know, most vaccines, even the most rushed vaccines are 18 months minimum. So we're talking about June of next year. Um, that's, 
I don't know about you, but I'm not planning that far ahead. <laughs> you know, the way 2020 has been, I'm, I'm just taking it a week at a time. I'm waiting for the, uh, you know, the, the murder hornets to surround my house and, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever new, uh, version of the plague or whatever, whatever the next chapter of revelations gets opened. Um, that's just what I'm waiting for. I'm not thinking about June playing music again. I'm just thinking about how me and my family can stay safe. Um, you know, and I, you know, getting on the internet and just being discouraged by humanity, um, <laughs> you know, getting on there and seeing people argue about mask and, 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 and racism not existing. And it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. BJ Barham following Rhonda Chalak, a radio promoter with insubordinate media, giving you a glimpse into what's happening or more like what's not happening in the music business these days. You heard a live tune from American Aquarium at the Gray Eagle in Asheville, North Carolina earlier in the podcast, and the band was scheduled to return there for a performance in September before it had to be canceled recently. The Gray Eagle, like most every music venue in America, is staying open by finding new ways to keep the lights on. They have begun outdoor shows on their patio with limited capacity and have hosted many live streams shows that are filmed on their indoor stage with only the band and their own small crew in attendance. B.J. Barham, like most every music artist in America, has performed many virtual concerts online during the pandemic. An American Aquarium is soon to play an online residency in Athens, Georgia. Late this July, they are playing five of their albums for five straight nights, available via pay-per-view. The hotter you work, the luckier you get. B.J. Barham and I talked for the better part of an hour, and there is simply too much worth hearing to fit into one episode of Southern Songs and Stories. And there are many more songs from Lamentations that I want to explore with you still, as well as some of my conversation with music artist and longtime American Aquarium fan Tyler Boone. Stay tuned for all of that in episode two of this series on the six-piece band from Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and I hope you might invite someone you know to visit us here at Southern Songs and Stories. You can subscribe to this series on your podcast platform of choice, and it helps a lot when you give it a good rating and a review. Great ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artist it profiles more visible to people just like you. And it helps to spread awareness and make more people connected when you like and follow the show on our social media. You can find us on the Facebook page, Southern Songs and Stories, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and on Instagram, at South Stories. Feel free to drop me an email at southernsongsandstories at gmail.com or joek at wncw.org. 
Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks also to Rhonda Chalak and to Tyler Boone for being on the show. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. It's okay to admit you were wrong. It's okay to admit that your ancestors fought for the wrong reasons. And I think there's a lot of really great work being done here in the South. I think there's a lot of really great uh, progressive ideas that are starting to become mainstays uh, in the Southern ideology. Um, But we have a lot of work to do because there's uh, racism is a taught thing. And unless you are not taught it, it is going to be a part of your family up until a certain age. And so you like, I like to think that in my family, I get to cut that off. I don't, it never gets to be passed down onto another generation of my link of my family. Um, And we're starting to see that with a lot of Southerners. We're starting to see a lot of people put that line in the sand and say, it ends here. Then, you know, this being taught in our family, the the jokes, uh, the, the stereotypes, it stops here. And, you know, moving forward, it's very nice to know that my daughter uh, is going to be taught, um, one, a proper history lesson, uh, two, uh, how to appreciate other human beings from the jump.